Listener supported. WNYC Studios. It's the Brian Lehrer Show on WNYC. Good morning, everyone. We'll begin today with our lead Eric Adams reporter, Elizabeth Kim, who many of you know comes on with us most Wednesdays after the mayor's Tuesday news conferences. This week, there was big news. The news conference happened to come on the same day as the biggest legislative defeats for the mayor since he took office in 2022. City Council overrode his vetoes of bills requiring more police transparency about who they interact with and one further limiting how people incarcerated in city jails can be kept isolated. Here's Speaker of the Council, Adrian Adams, yesterday before the override votes. The resistance to this legislation is disturbing. The resistance to truth-telling of data of who is being stopped in the city of New York is disturbing to me. It should be disturbing to everybody. And here's Mayor Adams yesterday at his news conference. This was also before the vote. The council council goal of increasing transparency in government, I believe in it. I believe in it 100%. This is my life's work. This is what I have committed myself to do. But at the same time that I talk about transparency, I talk about public safety. We can have public safety and justice. They can coexist now, WNYC and Gotham City Hall reporter Elizabeth Kim on all of this and more. Hi, Liz. Welcome back to the show. It's another Wednesday. Good morning, Brian. They actually seem to agree on the goals, just not this specific new requirement in the How Many Stops Act of recording race and other demographic area uh, information on what's called level one stops, the most minor interactions or among the most minor what they call investigative interactions with the public. How far apart are they really, despite the veto and the override? I think they actually are pretty far apart. This is, the mayor does say that he believes in transparency. The question is, how do we accomplish that? And I think, you know, in the clip you played of the speaker That was one of her sharpest rebukes of the mayor and his administration that I've heard. She talks about it's a resistance to truth-telling. And I think they are very far apart on what's happening on the ground to black and Latino men. And the the mayor says, yes, I do believe in transparency. But the question is, is are you recognizing they, they, they seem to be seeing a very different reality in how policing is being played out on a daily basis for New Yorkers? I guess. But it's not like the mayor denies that there is racism in the NYPD. Here's a minute of him talking about that at yesterday's news conference. Anyone who believed that isms don't still exist in our society is, you know, really have their heads in the sand. Isms exist, you know, uh, anti-Semitism, racism, uh, Islamophobia, uh, you know, denials of women of moving forward in, 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 in society. That's why we rolled out our Women Forward plan. Uh, they all exist because we're human beings. We recruit from society. If you recruit from society, you're going to bring in those isms. isms. What we must do 
identify them quickly. In areas that we can correct behavior, we need to do so immediately. In areas where we don't believe a person is suitable after their probationary period based on their, their actions to be a police officer, um, we should move forward and have them removed from the department. And that's what you see when we're cutting down the amount of time that we're reviewing those officers that are having some real disciplinary uh, uh, issues. So, Liz, what was the context for that answer? And do the facts seem to back up what he says is changing in his administration with respect to police accountability? That was the mayor's response to a question that I put to him. I had asked him, do you believe that the NYPD is still using racist tactics? And if so, what do you think we should do about it? So that is his answer there. And I kind of chewed on it a little bit. And I spoke to someone in Adrian Adams's staff about it. And they made a good point to me. When the mayor talks about things like isms and how he's handling in you know individual complaints against officers he's talking about accountability on an individual level what the council has wanted to do with their legislation is implement a kind of institutional accountability so that they're 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 looking at patterns they're looking at trends not necessarily holding an individual accountable for what how they are policing but looking at the NYPD as a whole and i think that that's a very important distinction and difference in how they look at um reforming the NYPD what's your take um on the people in the largely black and Latino districts most affected by NYPD behavior and practices. Presumably their city council members know the sense of their local constituents pretty well, which is why they all voted and then even with a big spotlight on them, voted to override and you know maintain this bill that they passed. But these are also parts of the city where Adams racked up his biggest electoral margins, including in the Democratic primary, in 2021 against some more progressive and police skeptical candidates. So is there uncertainty or mixed views about what the actual people of New York and the districts most affected tend to want on this? The mayor still has strong support in the black community in particular. Some of that is eroding. We've seen that in polls. Um, A lot of that has to do with budget cuts and the migrant crisis. On the whole, you know, the understanding, there are twin feelings within Black and Latino communities. On the one hand, they feel that they've been under-resourced when it comes to getting the kind of police protections that they want. But they also feel that they have been targeted for over-policing and racist policing. I will note that the speaker did go on WBLS. That's a station that the mayor often goes on, you know, and uh-huh. and that often is takes the temperature of what uh, how a lot of black New Yorkers feel about the issue. And I was told that a lot of the callers who called in over the weekend when she was on did speak about the feelings that they that 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 racialized policing still exists in this city. So I think that what you'll see is you have a lot of mixed feelings. People want to be protected for sure, but they don't want to be racially targeted, of course. So listeners, if you live in a neighborhood 
where you think crime is a problem and where you think over-policing is a problem, um, they often go hand in hand, then how do you feel about this whole conflict between the mayor and city council on these bills? Uh, you know, so first priority now for black and Latino New Yorkers who are on the, on the, who are on the receiving end uh, of beha- police behavior more than other New Yorkers in general. That's just a fact. You get first priority on the phones here, no matter what neighborhood you live in, but especially if you live in a, let's say, lower income or higher crime kind of neighborhood of the city. Uh, whether or not you voted for Eric Adams in the primary or the general election in 2021, how, how is this striking you? 212-433-WNYC. Have you felt yourself taking sides on this conflict between the mayor and the city council, specifically over the How Many Stops Act? And we'll get to the other one, the solitary confinement one as well, but particularly on how many stops and the mayor's argument that he made here on Monday, that he's been making everywhere. He can make it in the last week or so that these level one stops where they're not really investigating the person who they stop um, shouldn't bog down the cops with paperwork. It's in the interest of your public safety uh, for them to not have to do that. But obviously, your city council members, I think, uh, what, Liz, uh, 42 out of the 51 of them? Um, That's correct. That's feel a- differently. Right. So 212-433-WNYC. If you feel like this is personal to you, potentially, or has been in the past, in any way, 212-433-9692. Give us a call and help us report this story. Um can can you cuz i think this is vague still to a lot of people uh and has been kind of an abstraction to a lot of folks even as concretely as the mayor and the city council speaker have been trying to talk about it what's your best understanding of what this bill now that it's definitely gone through actually will change well as the speaker has said a lot depends on implementation and that has been part of her frustration and the frustration of council members who support the bill is the way that the mayor has framed it is he has proposed a way of implementing it in really the most difficult way possible which is paperwork there's no reason why it has to be done on paper Um, You know, the speaker has made the argument that it can be done using technology that the NYPD is already using, which is they all have smartphones and they are already using apps and capturing they're capturing data already about their interactions with civilians in a sophisticated way. They, They wear body cam footage, for example. And at the end of the day, an officer docks that footage he sits at a computer he or she sits at a computer and then they they are, they are already categorizing even level 1 interactions and you know I, there was a caller that called in when the speaker was on with you Brian his name is 
Edwin Raymond. He is a former NYPD officer, and he, he talked about it on your show, and then later I called him, and he walked me through it as well, and he mm-hmm. said, you know, basically, they can, you know, they're already doing some of this. So he said, he told me that he feels it only tacks on maybe a few minutes to what they're already doing at the end of the day. Now, he told me that it could be done at the end of the day. That is another point of contention between the mayor and the speaker. He has, the mayor has said that officers would have to do it in the moment, right? So that as they're, you know, looking for a missing child, they would have to stop and fill out these forms. And he says that will, you know, and and, and he's right, that could prolong the amount of time that's taken for an investigation. But again, you know, the speaker's response is consistently, you, Mr. Mayor, will implement this and you will set um, the rules for how this is going to be done. Um, I'm sure that the council will want to have input on that, and I'm sure they'll they'll try to push the mayor to do it in the easiest way possible, but also to to make sure that the officers are, in fact, doing it. But we, we shall see. Um, you know, the first report is due in about six months. We'll see how much they try to get around this uh, at the NYPD and at City Hall, since, as you say, the city council passed the law, but it's up to the mayor, the executive branch, to whom the uh, NYPD reports, to implement it. So here's more of the mayor from yesterday's news conference talking about his personal commitment to fighting racism in policing. The uniqueness of this moment is that we have a mayor that has not only been an advocate for this, I've been the leading voice on this. Mm -hmm. So I'm not only an advocate, I'm a mayor that did this job. There isn't another mayor in history that I can think of that actually have been on the streets doing these interactions and also advocated to improve on how these interactions are done. So there's a unique moment that we are in. And that's why I think uh, Councilman Yusuf Salam brings a unique perspective. I bring those perspectives. And every other mayor had to turn to their police commissioner and say, hey, I need you to figure this out. I don't have to turn to my police commissioner to say, I need you to figure this out. And it's interesting, Liz, that he mentioned Yusef Salam there. Um, how kind of, I don't know, you know, a, a, a strange um, act of fate or something like that, that he, of all people, of course, he was one of the exonerated Central Park Five. Now he just got elected last fall to New York City Council um, long after he had spent 10 years in prison after being wrongfully convicted of that attack on a Central Park jogger way back in 1989. Uh, And now he got elected to city council. He got appointed the chair of the city council's public safety committee, certainly an act of historic justice in that. And then over this past weekend, he gets stopped by a police officer when he is driving his car and nothing much happens. Um, but the issue was raised of the officer not disclosing to Salam why he was stopped when Salam asked. And here we are, right, with one of the most famously um, um, wronged by the police New Yorkers in all of history thrust right into the middle of the debate right before the veto override uh, vote. I know, Brian, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, you couldn't have scripted something more dramatic. And 
all of us have been waiting to see how this dynamic plays out between the mayor and council member Salam. To the point you made earlier about how do how do members of the mayor's base, particularly black and Latino voters, feel about this issue. It's interesting that in recent days, the mayor has leaned on his role as an advocate, as an activist. As we know, he was a member of 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement Who Care. He spoke out against stop and frisk. And I think it's notable that he's trying to remind the public of that because he too is he's very aware that this is a concern in black and Latino communities. They they do have a history of being the, the target of police officers. So he, in this moment, he's seeking to remind the constitu- his constituents about his role as an advocate. But also, you know, again, he is he is the he has made public safety a priority and coming into 2024 he was very vulnerable he's coming off you know historically low poll ratings um he's under a federal corruption investigation although he hasn't been implicated so coming into 2024 it seems as if he is sort of back in his campaign mode right he's really reviving a lot of slogans he used during the campaign public safety is the prerequisite to prosperity and now this this other slogan which he also used during his campaign which is we can have public safety and social justice mm-hmm. we will see how that plays out i think his critics would really push him on what are you doing for the social justice part. Milta in the Bronx, you're on WNYC. Hello, Milta. Hi, um, thank you. Uh, I, this conversation is an imperative. Uh, I live in the Bronx. I grew up in Manhattan. This, I am a Latina woman. Um, I have brown and black family members. I can tell you that not only is this a subject matter of, you know, of discussion for our children and us, the adults and the adults that grew us, uh, learning how to manage this uh, corrupt institution that, uh, you know, keeps trying to blame individuals like the, you know, the bad apple, but the system itself needs to be accountable. And if we're asking the mayor to make this accountability part of the patrolling officer's duty, then why do we have to continue to fight our own mayor? to assure that he does what he said he was going to do. We have history with this. This is not news. Milta, thank you very much. Let's take another caller from the Bronx. Michelle, you're on WNYC. Thank you for calling in. Good morning. Um, I'm also from the Bronx. Um, I actually grew up in Atlanta, another, uh, I'm white, uh, grew up in Atlanta, another, you know, in a minority area as well. And 
I, what I what really shocked me was the difference in how the police officers act in the Bronx versus where I grew up. Um, in the Bronx, if you go and you ask them for help, uh, they will turn their backs on you. If you try and wave them down, they drive right by you. And, it, you know, it's like I'm very the only thing I've really seen them do in, in our neighborhood is if there's a shooting, they will park their vehicle and flash their lights all night long right in front of my window <laughs> and I'm sure it's waking other people up too. Um, and you know, this to deter, I guess that from happening again for a little while till things cool down, but I'm very unclear as to what the police officers think their job is because it com- seems to be different from my experience growing up with the police officers in Atlanta. Um, I do think that individuals need to be, uh, you know, put on probation and retrained um, but also institutionally, that needs it needs to be defined and communicated to the officers and to the public as to what to expect from the police officers. Michelle, thank you very much. Uh, interesting comparison, at least in her experience between police in Atlanta and police in New York City, Liz. Um, I don't know if any of that is reflected in stats or, uh, you know, the conversation at the political city hall level. Uh, but any any thoughts on either of those two callers? Well, they're only it's a small sampling, right, Brian? But those two callers who live in communities where there are um, live in minority communities, you know, they're talking about the police and they're talking about their own desire for some kind of reform, but but transparency, right? So that speaks to what the council has been arguing is we need more transparency. And, oh, you know, over the years, the police have implemented some changes. I think the most notable one was body wearing body cams. Right. But there have been complaints about that. You know, there was a recent ProPublica uh, story that spoke about how even though there is this extensive body cam footage, the NYPD rarely releases it. In fact, many people noted over the weekend when Council Member Youssef Salam was stopped by pol- a police officer that they released, they were, many people were stunned that the NYPD released the footage so quickly. That's not usually the case. Listener writes in a text message, I'm a South Asian woman hit by a police baton at a protest. Will the NYPD technically be required to report the indiscriminate and split-second interactions with civilians? Specifically, will this bill deter them from, for example, the way they were blindly hitting protesters in 2020? Uh, So that's that's an interesting subset of this bill, right, um, or of this whole topic of police accountability. We know there was police misconduct. Mayor de Blasio, who was in office at the time, wound up admitting it in uh, some of the post-George uh, Floyd murder protests in the city. Um, where, where does police interaction with protesters come into this in terms of any interactions that will now newly have to be um, documented uh, by race, age, gender, any other ways, and if they already needed to be, if you know? I don't know, because what this bill refers to are all investigatory interactions. I don't know that it sounds a a lot more serious of a serious interaction if a police officer is actually using force or violence against 
um, a civilian. I, I don't know where that fits in. I would think there's already some kind of category and, you know, through body cam footage and, and that that I don't know how that is reported, for example. Um, we're going to take a break and then we're going to continue. Uh, I, I'm going to ask you about traffic stops in particular because the stop of Yusuf, Yusuf Salam, Council Member Salam, over the weekend, besides shining a light in a different way on the How Many Stops Act veto override that was coming, it, it also put traffic stops back into the conversation, um, maybe in a new kind of way or a revised kind of way, even though traffic stops already had to be documented by police officers. So we'll talk about that. And a reform uh, that the mayor seemed to endorse on this show, and we'll play that clip from Monday, that who knows, might lead to um, an agreement between the mayor and city council on another way to reform the NYPD. And we'll get into some other issues, too, that may have come up in the news conference yesterday. Stay with us. There on WNYC as we continue with our lead, Eric Adams reporter, Elizabeth Kim, who comes on with us most every Wednesday after the mayor's weekly Tuesday news conference with clips and analysis and to take your calls, 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. You can call or text as we continue to talk mostly about the confluence yesterday of the mayor's weekly news conference and the big news out of city council that they overrode the mayor's vetoes of bills requiring more police transparency and less solitary confinement in the city jails. So when the mayor was here on Monday, um, there was one answer to a question I asked that could theoretically give way to another police accountability reform measure that the mayor and council might agree on. We were talking about the police traffic stop of council member Yusuf Salam and that the officer did not answer Salam's question of why he was pulled over. It is currently legal. It's okay for an officer to refuse to tell a driver why they were stopped. So I asked the mayor this. Some people say change that law to require that transparency both for police accountability and for public trust in the NYPD. Maybe human nature says if they won't tell us why we're stopped, we'll be more suspicious of their motivations. So I'm curious from your experience on the force and obviously as mayor, would you support or oppose that kind of change in the law? I, I don't have a, a problem with that at all. Uh, anything that we can do to, number one, de-escalate the situation, number two, uh, continue to build that relationship between uh, police and community is a real win for me. So, Liz, I don't know how big an issue that is or if there are good reasons for police to have that discretion not to disclose, maybe if they're in some kind of investigation and and they don't want to tip people off to something, I don't know. But I wonder if you think since the council member, Salam, raised this as an issue after the stop and the mayor said he has no problem with that kind of reform, if something might come of that. Well, I think you did open up by the mayor by the mayor responding the way he did to your question, Brian, that it does open up an opportunity for the council, if not the mayor himself, to propose something. Uh, that was one of the major questions that came out of the stop was, 
the reason that we learned later afterwards from the NYPD that the council member was pulled over was because he had illegally tinted windows. But that was never mentioned based on the body cam footage to Salam from the police officer. So then the question becomes, why wasn't it mentioned? The council member himself was heard asking in in his own recording, at least, that uh, why, why, why was I pulled over? And the police officer just wishes him a good night and leaves. Uh, why didn't the police officer tell him? Because presumably you, you would think that you'd want the person to know so that he could correct the offense so that he won't be pulled over a second time. So that was kind of perplexing. And the mayor was asked about that again, um, both on your show and I think... I believe he was asked about it also yesterday. And, you know, one of the answers I, I know on your show, he said that it's possible that the officer didn't hear him. But then again, shouldn't the officer proactively be telling someone that he has stopped over for breaking the law, what law exactly he broke? Uh, yeah, um, that's interesting. And we're pulling up the 15 second audio of that interaction that was released, we'll play it in a second. But one of the things that, that I think I saw in in your reporting, Liz, um, is that even though traffic stops already had to be documented, they will not be newly included in this How Many Stops Act, they already had to be documented in demographic terms because there's been so much, you know, driving while black, uh, that kind of thing, in, um, um, uh, disparate uh, rates of pulling over drivers of of different ba- backgrounds um, that that already had to be disclosed, but that in the Adams administration they have not closed that gap. Maybe the opposite. Are you talking about the racial disparities? Correct. We haven't had a lot of data. That was a newly implemented law, and we got data on traffic stops for the first time last year. And Mm -hmm. what it showed was that it was around about 90% of people who were searched or arrested in these stops were black or Latino. Um, It's a little bit lower than... um, pedestrian stops, but that's still, you know, incredibly high. But we don't have anything to compare it to because that was the first time that this kind of data was released. Yeah, here's the 15 seconds of audio that was released of the interaction between the officer and council member Salam. Uh, Some of this is a little hard to hear, so listen carefully. I'm council member Salam from this district, District 9. Oh, okay. Uh, is every, everything okay? Yeah. Yes. You're working, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, can you tell me why I, stopped, why I was pulled over? All right. Take care, sir. So at the end there, will you tell me why I was pulled over? And the officer just says, thank you, sir, and walks away. So the mayor was saying on the show, as you just cited, uh, it was noisy there. He's not even sure from that audio whether the officer heard council member Salam. Um, but... What would be the motivation to not tell him? It's not clear, and that was the question. You know, one of the you know one of the theories that was floating around was that the council member, by identifying himself as a council member, was using his position 
to try to skirt a ticket or or, or something like that. All, I, I all he did was say who he is. He exactly, ask, exactly. Ask and I anything. think that there would have been criticism, too, had he not identified uh-huh. himself as a council member, that perhaps he didn't want the police officer to know, you know, that, that he was an elected official. So I think that could have worked both ways. Right. But what's It just seemed like such a normal response by the council member to me listening to that audio, which, by the way, uh, I want to credit the New York Times because that's where that audio bite was that uh, we grabbed it from. Um, the, the, you know, the officer walks up and says, hi, I, you know, says I'm officer so and so from the such and such precinct. And so the driver says, I'm council member Salam from the ninth district this neighborhood. It's about as straightforward and one-on-one, you know, as as it sounds like it could be. Right. Now, on, on your show, and also yesterday when the mayor was describing this, this exchange to reporters, he calls it the perfect, the picture-perfect stop. And, but I think a lot of people would ask what you've asked. Why didn't the police officer just Tell him what he did wrong, the reason the reason for this stop. That seems to be a real critical piece of information. And perhaps then that would have become, you know, a more perfect stop, I would say. Mary in Somerset, New Jersey. You're on WNYC. Hi, Mary. Hi, yes. I, I, I was just going to say that I think the piece that we can kind of acknowledge is the fact that there's a lot of trauma in the black community around this issue. And in light of that, even though maybe um, disclosing the reason for the stop isn't ideal for the officer or, or even for the, for the, passenger, for the uh, driver, I think the fact that there's been trauma, it just kind of makes sense. It might be the better option to just disclose it because there is this trauma history. Thank you very much. And Deborah on Long Island, you're on WNYC. Hi, Deborah. Hi. Hi, Brian. Um, I'm an activist with the um, police accountability movement on Long Island. And um, I I just want to bring out that Long Island has some very serious problems and with regard to uh, policing practices and patterns. And, for example, Suffolk County is under a DOJ settlement agreement for uh, it is uh, monitored by the Department of Justice. Um, Nassau County uh, officials refuse to speak with activist groups and which is worse. And um, where we've had, for example, there was a recent $35 million jury award against Suffolk County for the alleged police beating death of Kenny Lazo. Um, it took 15 years to get a civil, uh, civil, civil court justice in federal court for the family of this young man who left a child and a significant other, not to mention his other relatives who loved him. Deborah, just to keep us on topic, do you think that uh, in whatever town on Long Island you're talking about, there is this kind of data reporting requirement, or if there was, that this incident that you're describing might have been averted? Um, this is a complicated issue, yes. Data, data reporting is extremely important, especially if it's published in a usable way. 
and and if the police department uses it actively uses it to get a clear picture of the patterns and practices of the police department especially with respect to non-safety stops and uh, and uh, but not only not exclusively but that's a great way to see where um personnel is being used because uh Suffolk County for example has the highest um, vehicular fatality rates, but we're not getting partially because I, we wonder where personnel is being employed. Is it being employed with in areas to go after people for non-safety stops on pretext, mm-hmm. or is it an issue of really being concerned with general welfare? Deborah, I'm going to leave it there. I thank you for for chiming in with all that. That's that's great context and regional context. And Don and Teaneck, you're on WNYC. Hi, Don. Hi. How are you? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. It seems like it was very courteous policeman. Most of the policemen were courteous. That that gentleman, the police officer, he wouldn't have to split hairs like we're doing this morning. Don, thank you very much. Yeah, and that was kind of the mayor's point, Liz, right, about the particular interaction, like beyond the How Many Stops Act, um, the particular interaction between the council member and this particular police officer. The mayor said this was a perfect interaction on both parties' parts. The police officer identified himself. The council member was courteous back, asked what was wrong. Is there anything wrong? Um, and the officer said, you know, okay, we're, you know, go on your way. So, uh, mayor says perfect stop on both, both parties counts. And Don says, Hey, let's give this, uh, this officer some credit for, you know, being straight up. Yes. I do wonder though, whether our standards of police and civilian interactions are not, or expectations are at this point are quite low given the volatile history and the, the 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 more more violent interactions that we've seen make headlines. You know, I I, I think that you know, listening to it, yes, the officer was courteous, but he should be courteous. Um, and again, let's but let's think about what he didn't say. And and in a way. Not answering the question, and let's say he did hear the council member, but he didn't want to answer it. That, that I think, in the council member's mind, does tarnish that interaction because he asked him something that seemed very basic and very right. pertinent to the moment, right, as to why, like, he was stopped. And he why? just walked away. And Although he walked we away, have... and then that doesn't really come off as... It's far from the perfect interaction from the council member's perspective. Although some other people, we have a caller to this effect that I'm not going to have time to take, but, um, you know, I see it came up at the news conference yesterday, too, is did the officer give the council member special treatment because he's a council member and that kind of privilege, no matter who the council member is, should not be afforded Either if he had illegally tinted windows and that's considered a hazard in New York State. I guess the car was previously registered in Georgia and he hadn't changed it since um, he came up here or brought the car up here. Then, uh, then you know, 
Why, why does he get special treatment? And is that good behavior by the officer either? Correct. And the mayor's response to that was, this is at the officer's discretion. Um, again, it's, it's, it's discretion he used, but he, which he also didn't explain to the council member that I am using my discretion to not give you a summons about your illegally tinted windows. Here is a police officer calling in on the topic of discretion. Well, time, Jane in Yorktown. You're on WNYC. Hi, Jane. Thanks for calling. Hi. Um, I am a police officer, and I can tell you that when you're making a traffic stop, there's a lot to think about. You don't know what you have until you're, until you're at the car. You don't know the situation inside of the car. So any number of things, like I... I personally I personally know of people who have been seriously injured making traffic stops I I know many people who have been seriously injured making traffic stops you mean police officers the other traffic you mean police officers because I don't go ahead yes because I don't know other people who make traffic stops (laughs) um but I don't know um, if you meant the drivers that's all but go ahead no no I I mean police officers I I a classmate of mine was had his hand hit by another car that was going past him. So his, you know, his one hand was basically broken by the side mirror of a car that came by too closely. I've, I injured myself one time when a car came by too close and I had to throw myself up against my car in order to not be hit by the car that was passing me. Mm -hmm. So these are all the things that you are taking into consideration. So you're trying to make the traffic stop quickly, safely, and as courteous as you can possibly be. And that's, that's just the traffic on the side of the road that you have to be concerned about. There also may be something in the car that might be popping out and hurting you. Um, so there are many, many considerations. I do think that that was an excellent traffic stop. And I do think that once the councilman identified himself, he put his thumb on the scale. Yeah, it... So, right, right. Like, it, uh, yeah, that's like flat I, out, was, straight up, he put his thumb on the scale. Implied, I deserve special privilege. Correct. Um, that is what, correct. What about the officer's decision not to answer, assuming it was a conscious decision, not to answer the question of why he was stopped? In your experience as a police officer, does that surprise you, or are there legitimate reasons for that? I think that every single, uh, knowing... Knowing that there's body cams, knowing that you're not speaking to a council person, you know, as a police officer, that the best way for you to be reassigned is to mess up that traffic stop in any way. So to keep it short and keep it sweet because you don't, because you have to pick your child up from the bus every day and you don't need your precinct to change. You don't need to, you know, have to hire a babysitter because now you have to take extra time to get to work in the morning, right. and now right. you have to have somebody else drop your children off at school. Right. So it was the so most you safe, were, safe, risk-averse, self-defensive uh, decision correct. at that moment, knowing he was interacting with a council member. Because your position at where you work could be at stake in that one interaction yeah. in a heartbeat. Jane, thank you for your call. I really appreciate it. Um, Liz, I want to touch one other topic before you go from the mayor's news conference yesterday, but I don't know if you want to react to those last couple of calls. 
No, I think she makes a very good point. And he was not just interacting with any council member, right? He's interacting with Yusef Salam, who has a national profile as Which the officer may or may not have known. That is true, too, Brian. We don't know whether he knew that. You know, I mean, you would presume he would if that's his precinct and that is the council member's district. There have been quite a lot of stories written about Yusef Salam. So... But yes, perhaps he didn't know. But if he did know, yes, that's and he has body cam footage. That's a reason why for self-preservation, he wants to keep the exchange as short as possible and just move on his way. Well, yesterday's news conference looked to me, I watched most of it, um, was if not uh, only, it was overwhelmingly about their about these bills. And of course, there was so much else in the mayor's state of the city speech last week. And when we took calls for the mayor on Monday, New Yorkers were raising lots of other things, pre-K and 3K funding, supportive housing, the asylum seekers, and more. Uh, So you brought one other clip that's on a whole other topic, the migrants, and interacting with something um, a lot of New Yorkers may not think of it in conjunction with, and that is the shortage of lifeguards in the city? Should we just play the clip, or do you want to set it up? That's right. So the governor has uh, has announced a, a, a state program in which she is going to make several thousand jobs available to migrants who have work authorizations. So the mayor was asked to respond to this idea, and this is what he said. Uh, we need to find a creative place and way Uh, that we've stated over and over again about allowing people to work. Like, we have a lifeguard shortage. I would love to use migrants and asylum seekers uh, to help with the lifeguard shortage. So, yeah. uh, (laughs) It doesn't, you know, get discussed probably enough when there's this assumption that they are just a burden on the city, at least in the short run. Uh, that there are also needs that they could fill. Right. I I think that that's a it's it's um it's a compelling there's a compelling policy argument that in in a moment where government is struggling to find people to work whether there's not an opportunity here right that government can use can leverage to give these migrants an opportunity. What was interesting there was the first job that came to mind for the mayor was lifeguards. I'm not sure why he thinks that, you know, people from South America or other parts of the globe might be particularly suited to become lifeguards, but that was what popped into his mind. And there we leave it for this week with our City Hall reporter, Elizabeth Kim, who generally attends the mayor's Tuesday news conferences and generally shows up here on Wednesday mornings with excerpts and analysis and to take your calls. Liz, thanks as always. Thank you, Brian.